Well, for Faith Promise this morning, we have a, a missionary speaker. This is our third mission. I told you we're a missions church. This is our third missionary in the last month and a half. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to hear me all the time. That's great. But our missionary this morning is Dan Anderson. He and his wife, Melody, are in Uganda. And when in 2001, when I was a freshman, well, it was between my freshman and sophomore year of college at Trevecca Nazarene University, I had the opportunity to go on what was called a cause trip. It was a week-long trip, and we went to Uganda with the Andersons. And so Dan and Melody are in, are in Uganda doing missions work. They are the missions coordinator for Uganda. And I remember 16 years ago as a college freshman, you probably don't remember me, although there was only a couple guys on that trip. But I remember one of the coolest things we did on that trip, and one of the things that Dan gets to do that's really cool, is he gets to whitewater raft the Nile River. It's pretty amazing. It's an experience I'll never forget. But more than that, um, we, we got the opportunity to build a playground for AIDS orphans, and we got the opportunity to worship with churches there in Uganda. And that's part of the work that Dan and Melody have been able to do there. Dan and Melody spent 10 years in Kenya before they came to Uganda, and they've spent the last 22 years being missionaries in the country of Uganda. They've given 32 years of their life to Africa and 22 to Uganda. And so we're, we're thankful to have you here this morning. I'm excited to see you again. It's been a long time. Uh, I'm probably a little bit different. I've probably grown a little bit, but um, not higher, but out. Um, but I'm thankful to have you here this morning, and we're excited to hear from you. Before we hear from him, we're going to see um, a short video about missions in Uganda.
Life is good if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're willing to follow the one who entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. If you're willing to put your life into the hands of the one who died on the cross for you. But for millions and millions of people around this world, life is not good because they don't know Jesus like you and I know Jesus. And I'm thankful for the Church of the Nazarene who has chosen as its mission statement these seven short words, to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. That is our reason for having the doors of our churches open, because we want to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. Christ came and gave us a great commission, go and make disciples. Actually, it means as you are going, be making disciples. And that is our responsibility as a local church. That is our responsibility as an international church. Back in 1985, the Church of the Nazarene took a, a big step of faith. They decided to go into five new countries in one year. One of those countries, if you look over here on the map, you'll see Africa. You'll see a country in green, that's Kenya. The one next to it in red is Uganda. They went into the country of Kenya, and Melody and I as church planners were asked to go to Kenya and help start the work there. We were sent over to the western part of Kenya, to the shores of Lake Victoria, the second largest freshwater lake in the world. And there we began the work, and the Lord blessed the work. And the Lord caused the Kenyans to accept the responsibility of reaching out to their neighbors and their friends. And within 10 years, we were able to plant 120 churches. That's because the Kenyans said, I will be a pastor if God calls. I will be a board member. I will serve on the district advisory board. I will be a part of Jesus Film Ministries. I will go out and do whatever it is that I need to do to see the Church of the Nazarene and the Kingdom of God grow. And so in eight years, we knew our job was almost finished. We had done the work. We had worked our way out of a job. And so we began praying, where shall we go next? And the Lord opened up Uganda and the Church of the Nazarene approved for us to go. And so we went around the lake. We went into the country of Uganda. We made our home in a little town called Jinja. Jinja is at the beginning of the longest river in the world, which is the Nile River. The Nile River was what Moses was put into a basket and placed into that river. I also, as your pastor said, have been placed into a basket. Mine was a little different than Moses' basket. Mine was with rubber, and I was whitewater raft in the Nile. I had a lot more fun going down the river than Moses did. But we began doing the same type of work we had done in Kenya. We started with friendship evangelism. I believe it's easier to tell a friend something than to tell somebody you don't even know something. And so I believe in friendship evangelism. We preach it and we teach it. And we began with friendship. And we started a small Bible study. And it started to grow. Soon I realized the roads of Uganda were not as smooth as the waters of the Nile River. And I started hearing something funny in the front of my vehicle. And so I drove into town and asked, where are the mechanics? Because in any African town, you usually have the lumber in one area. You have welders in another. You have the mechanics. So I said, where are they? And a guy hopped in my vehicle and said, I'll take you. And so he directed me down some roads, and we went into this big open area, and there were about 20 different mechanics working in there. We got out and said, I'm going to take you to the best one. I said, okay. And so we walked past several of them until I stood before a man that I could only describe to you as Mr. T. He was big, big chest, big arm, big neck, bald head. I said, hi, my name's Dan. He said, my name's Muhammad. I said, well, Muhammad, I'm hearing something funny in the front of my vehicle. He says, go find something to do in town for a few hours and then come back. So I went, started going through some shops, trying to find out what was available. After a few hours, I went back in. I said, what'd you find out? He says, well, Dan, in the front of every vehicle, there are some metal parts that aren't supposed to touch one another. They have rubber bushes that you're supposed to have in there. All your rubber bushes were gone. They were worn out. I've replaced all the rubber bushes. Now you're good to go. 
I said, thank you. I paid him. I got in the vehicle, drove out into the street. And as I was driving, I thought, wow, this isn't driving like it used to. This is weird. So I made a U-turn. I went back in. I said, Mohammed, come take a test drive with me. He got in the vehicle. We went out onto the roads. And as we were driving, he said, stop. So I stopped. He rolled the window down, stuck his head out, said, okay, go ahead. And so I began to drive. And again, he said, stop, pull over. And so I pulled over. He says, where's your tire iron? I said, back here on the floor where you guys threw it. So I reached back, I got it, I gave it to him. He got out and began to tighten the lug nuts on the front of my wheels. And I looked at this guy wondering, what kind of a mechanic is this? He got back and I said, what's going on? He said, just go back in the garage. So I went back into the garage and we got out and he called about 10, 15-year-old boys to him. I saw that they were working with him and later I found out these boys didn't have money to go to school, didn't have money to go to high school, didn't have parents who could send them to high school. Muhammad took it upon himself to make a difference in the lives of these boys by training them in a profession that would help them to earn money to be able to eat and sleep and have clothes and start a family and that type of thing. And he said, which one of you did I tell to tighten the lug nuts on this Mzungu's car? Mzungu is a Swahili word for white person. One 15-year-old boy raised his hand so proudly, and Mohammed pointed at him and says, Why didn't you do it? Ah, I forgot. You forgot. You could have killed the Mzungu. Sorry. Now go over there and make sure all the lug nuts are tight. Once Mohammed tightens, nobody tightens them more. He went over. He came back and says, They're tight. Mohammed apologized to me, and I got in the vehicle, drove out, and it was driving nice. But I wonder, what kind of a mechanic turns my vehicle over to 15-year-old boys and doesn't watch them to make sure the job is done well? We continued to see the work grow. We started with one big uh, district in the country of Uganda. It's the size of Oregon, as you saw. Those uh, 32 million have gone to 38 million by now. Oregon has around 4 million people in Oregon. And we started some churches. And we had people accepting God's call as pastors. So we divided the one district into two. And it continued to grow. And I started to wonder if it was going to happen the same way over in, uh, that it did over in Kenya. And the Lord was just blessing and opening more and more. And as I was driving, I realized again that our roads were not smooth. I started hearing something funny. So I went back into the garage. I found Muhammad. I said, listen to this. I started the car. He said, ooh, that doesn't sound good, Dan. I said, no, I didn't think so either. He says, leave it with me. I'll come back later. I said, when? He said, tomorrow afternoon. And I thought, will the vehicle be okay overnight? He says, yeah, no problem. I said, okay. So I left, got on a Boda Boda. Boda Boda is a motorcycle taxi. And I went home, and I worked that day, and I worked the next day up until the afternoon. I went in, and I said, well, what'd you find out? He gave me a list of a receipt with all the things that he'd done to my vehicle. He said, so, I said, so now it's okay? He said, sure. Everything's good now. So I paid him. I thanked him. I got in, started the car. Looked down at my gauges as I always do. And I said, did you have to take my, test, my car out for a test drive? He said, no, didn't need to. I said, then where's all my fuel? He said, what do you mean? I said, when I came in, it was full. Now it's almost empty. Where's my fuel? He says, Dan, no one has messed with your fuel. I said, Muhammad, I know what I know. And I took the book from my visor and I said, see, I ride every kilometer I travel. He said, pop the door to your gas cap. So I went around with him and there it was. It takes a key to open the gas cap. It was there. It hadn't been jimmied. He said, see, Dan, no one's touched it. I said, Muhammad, I know what I know. He called his son Twaha to come over. He says, go into the vehicle. When he came out, he said, Dad, someone has opened the drain on the petrol tank, the fuel tank. And I watched Muhammad's face drop. He turned to me and says, Dan, take your car up to the petrol station, fill it up, get a receipt and come back. It took a while, but I got it done. I came back, handed him the receipt. When he looked at the receipt, his face dropped even more because I have a big tank on that vehicle. He reached into his pocket and pulled out Uganda shillings and paid me. Every shilling I had just put into the fuel. And I said, Muhammad, thank you. 
You know, my grandpa, my dad, they taught me, do the right thing, no matter what the cost. Do the right thing, no matter how hard it is. Do the right thing, and you've done the right thing. And I thank you for that. I appreciate it. And with that, I turned to get in the car, and he said, you can't go. I said, why not? He says, because we haven't finished yet. I said, what's that mean? Well, someone saw somebody else carrying jerry cans out of the garage early this morning. We knew where they went, so we sent somebody there while you were getting fuel. Found out that a man over there bought some diesel fuel. Probably your diesel fuel, Dan. I said, okay. He says, I've called that young boy here. In fact, here he comes now. And I looked over, and this 15-year-old boy was coming. He stood before us. And Mohammed said, did you take the Mzungu's fuel? Yeah. Okay, two options. One, we take you to the police right now. Or two, we handle it here. Your choice. He was a smart 15-year-old boy. He did not want to touch the, the police. He didn't want to be involved with them. Let's handle it here. So Muhammad called all the other mechanics to come. They made a circle, told the boy to lay flat down in the dirt, and they handed Muhammad a piece of rubber hose. And I wanted to leave, and he said I couldn't until it was over. And he began to hit the legs of that boy. Every time he struck him, I cringed. I did not want to be there. And he kept hitting and hitting, and the boy started to cry and to shake and try and evade the hits until finally Muhammad said, Enough. And he turned to me and said, I could go. And I got in the vehicle and I drove out of that garage and I said, I will never come back here. I can't handle this. It's not what I signed up for. I'm never coming back here again. And that's when God said, Dan, I want you to build a relationship with Muhammad. And I said, no way. Not me. I know nothing about Muslims. I know nothing about Islam. I can't do it, Father. I don't know how to do it. Find somebody else. And again, God said, Dan, I want you to build a relationship with Muhammad. And what do you say? <sighs> then I remembered, I'm a missionary. I'm supposed to do these types of things. Worse yet, I remember, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be sharing Jesus Christ with people. And so I said, okay, Father, I will do it, but you're going to have to help me a lot more than you've ever helped me in my life because I don't know what we're going to do with this. And so every time I would come into Jinja, I don't live in Jinja, I live out a bit. I grew up in Northern California on a dairy farm. I like to wake up with the cows and the goats and the sheep and the, the chickens, you know. I don't like to hear the cars and the people walking in front of anybody's house. So we'd come into town, I'd do my work, then I'd go down and start building a relationship with Muhammad. One day I walked in and he was there working on a vehicle. I could see he was really struggling because it wasn't starting and the boys were around him and I came up behind him and I leaned over his back and I looked in the engine and I said, hey, I know what's wrong. I know what you need. He said, what? I said, a good mechanic. The boys laughed and I laughed. Muhammad didn't laugh. I kept trying to build this relationship. The Lord continued to help us in our growing. We were able to divide the two districts into three districts, and we had two district superintendents that were nationals and one that was an Mzungu for a while, but eventually that one got turned over to a third national, and the church just continued to grow and grow. And we were having churches built and planted and Jesus film teams going out to get us a new start on how to get churches again going. And then all of a sudden, I have a problem. And I go in to see Muhammad, and he's not there. I said, where's Muhammad? Don't know. He didn't come in this morning. I said, okay. Waited two more days. Still no Muhammad. A whole week, whole week went by. Finally, he's back. I said, where you been? Been on holiday? He said, no. I had a problem. I said, oh, what, what, what happened? Well, I drove out of town, and I went around a curve. And as I did, two guys jumped down on the road. One was holding an AK-47 assault rifle. Told me to stop. I stopped. Told me to get out of the vehicle. I got out of the vehicle. They came and stuck it into my chest. I said, give me your watch, give me your wallet, give me the keys to your vehicle, give me your telephone, give me everything of value. 
And before they left, they ripped his chest open, and he showed me the wound that still looked infected to me. And I said, Mohammed, how did you feel as you had that gun stuck in your chest? He said, Dan, I thought I was going to die. I thought, I will not see the sun rise again. And I said, Mohammed, are you ready to die? He says, Dan, can anybody really be ready to die? I said, yes, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you turn your life over to him. And when he saw the direction I was going, he took a detour. He didn't want to talk about Christianity. He didn't want to talk about Christ. And so we talked of other things. And as I left, I had a conversation with God, something like, God, you blew it. <laughs> I mean, he was ready. What's the deal? I thought this would be the time he would want to come to you. What's going on? No response. Had a worker witness team come and visit us, and we were down almost to the border of Rwanda. We had already built the, the slab and the, the walls, and we poured the ring beam up on top, and the team was to build trusses and help us put the roof on and do some plastering. And, and so they came, and we did that, and then after it was over, we went on safari. Safari is a Swahili word. I'm trying to educate you a little bit here. Safari is a, a Swahili word. means trip, any kind of a trip. But most of the time, I take them to see the animals you just saw. And we saw those animals, we had a nice time, and then we started heading back home to Jinja. And as I was driving, I was keeping my eyes forward as I should. I was watching the side roads that come in, because sometimes people just come swerving in without looking. I was watching my rearview mirrors, making sure nobody came behind us that shouldn't. And as we're driving along, things are just going well until I look behind, and there's big old billows of black smoke, and that's normal because we don't have EPA regulations over there. We just let our diesel flow out of our exhaust pipes. But this one time, I looked back, and there was no more black smoke. This time, it was blue smoke. And I knew he was in trouble. And I said, Lord, please don't let me break down here. It will not be good for them and it will not be good for me. And the Lord helped us to reach back to Ginger and I was thankful. They got out and headed for showers because it was dusty and they were sweaty. And I headed for the phone and I called Muhammad. I said, Muhammad, I got a problem. This is what it is, I think. And he said, well, bring it in tomorrow. I said, no, tomorrow's Sunday, I can't. He says, no, you bring it in really, really early. I said, ah, really early? What time? 6.30. I said, ah, you won't be there. You wear a watch and I wear a watch. I look at my watch. You never look at your watch. Time means nothing to you. Dan, I'll be there. I said, okay. So Sunday morning, I got up, went down, found him, told him again what I thought it was. He walked to the back of the vehicle, put his fingers inside the exhaust pipe and said, yeah, you're burning a lot of oil. You need an overhaul. I said, great. Well, I'll get it to you as soon as I can. No, no, no. You leave it with me now. I said, no, I've got to take my people to church. Dan, leave it with me. I said, no, tomorrow I have to take the people to the airport. After I take them to the airport, then I'll bring it to you. Dan, this vehicle will not reach Entebbe Airport. I said, Muhammad, I'm a good driver. I can do this. He says, I know you're a good driver. It will not reach. I said, what am I going to do? He says, Dan, leave it with me. You're not listening. And so I took a breath and gave him the keys and said, okay. And I went home. I found my people. I got a vehicle, and we took them to church. We had a great long service. Well, shorter than most, but yours are real short. I'm only going to tell you one story today because you don't have a long enough time for me to tell two. But I came home, and I thought the vehicle might be there, and it wasn't. We waited through the afternoon. No vehicle. Evening came. Sun sets between 6 and 7 every day of the year. No vehicle when the sun set. Eight, nine, ten. I said, I'm going to bed. There's nothing I can do about it. Somewhere around one or two in the morning, I heard somebody honking their horn out on the road. I got up to look to see who it was. They weren't at the road. They were at my gate. I got dressed, went down, opened the gate, in drove Muhammad with my vehicle. He got out. I said, Dan, I'm so sorry. I lost track of time. I said, yeah, I told you. He said, no, I didn't. It's not that. I finished at 10 o'clock. I said, where you been? 
He says, well, I was way in the back and everybody else that was working on the vehicles just left them where they were and I couldn't get my vehicle out of there. I had to get all my guys around every one of those vehicles and we started bouncing them, bouncing them until he bounced every one of those vehicles out of the way until there was a way where I could drive and here's your vehicle. I said, wow, I'm impressed. Thank you. Let me get you back into town. It's late. He says, Dan, you need to go to bed. You go to bed, I'll find my way and he walked out of my gate. Next morning, I got up early, went out to see if it would start. It started. We loaded all the luggage on top, got the people inside, drove two hours down to Entebbe Airport, said goodbye to them on the way back. I was driving, watching ahead of myself, looking behind, no black smoke, no, no blue smoke. He had overhauled my engine in 15 hours. Try and do that here in America. Not possible. He had really helped me. We continue to grow. Now we have four districts within Uganda. And again, we have one Mzungu serving as a district superintendent and three other nationals. And they are growing. Last year, we had about 180 churches in Uganda. July was our month for district assemblies. And I got the reports. In fact, one came corrected yesterday. We now have 203 churches. They had added 13 churches since last year. That's over 10% growth just in churches. They believe there is a reason for them being there and being a part of the Church of the Nazarene. They know that there's a reason for being a Christian. That is to make a difference. I think Pastor Deb said that you're, she, she, this morning, before most of you got here, she saw somebody sitting and she didn't want them to be sitting. She gave them something to do. Well, we are not called to sit. Did you know that? We are not even called to stand around talking. We're called to serve, to make a difference in the lives of people around us, whether it's a neighbor or a coworker, someone we go to school with. That is our calling, to serve. And God was blessing in Uganda this past month when I heard 203 churches now in Uganda. Why? Because you sent missionaries to East Africa. Because you go out as work and witness teams, as you give to Alabaster so we can build churches and schools and pastors' homes, mission homes, you give of your time, you give of your time to pray and support missionaries out there. We have a bunch of missionaries, over 700 now, in the world, in countries that we can't even talk about because it'll give them a problem. It will be risky to them, their, their lives where they are serving. Why? Because you are giving. You have faith enough to believe that though you may not be able to go, you can send. Though you cannot be there, you can pray. And that's why this day is so important. Faith promise. A promise that you make to God. He encourages to write down a certain amount. And kids, youth, children, that includes you. Do you know that you could give up one soda or soda pop? I'm not sure what you call it here. Or one coffee. You could give $1 every week. You could give $52 in a year. You just have to say, hey, mom, dad, today when we're eating out, I just want to have water. I want $1 to go to Faith Promise so the church can continue to reach out around the world. Mohammed continued to be my friend and we were growing and growing until one day Twaha called me on the phone. Dan, dad's dying. I said, what do you mean dad's dying? He says, yeah, the doctor says there's nothing more he can do. I said, what does he have? What's the problem? He says he's got high blood pressure and diabetes. 
I said, Twaha, a friend of mine just told me the best doctor here in Jinja. You bring your dad down. You check him into Rana Clinic. You ask for Dr. Emanuel. And so he brought him down. I couldn't go that day. But the next day, I went in and I found his room. And I went in and there he was sitting up in bed. He looked at me and says, Dan, you saved my life. I said, what do you mean? He says, Dan, I was going to die. I know it. You saved my life. And I said, Muhammad, I can't save your life. Only God can save your life. And he cocked his head to the side and said, maybe, let me think about it. And I said, you do that. And so every day that week, I started coming in just to see him, and he started growing better and better and stronger and stronger. He knew he wasn't going to die. He no longer wanted to talk about Christianity or Christ or eternal life. And so when I left that last day, I got in the car and driving home, I had another conversation with God. God, that's strike two. <laughs> you missed. I don't know what's going on, but this would have been a perfect time to draw him in. He kept coming to my house now. He wants his blood pressure checked. He wants to know if his diet and his exercise and the lack of oils in his food and the frying and all is helping, and they are coming down. And we kept a little chart. And then one day, he was there, and I said, hey, can we go take a test drive? I have something I'm hearing. And we got in the car, drove down. I said, Dan, do you know what that is? I said, nope, I've never heard that before in my life. He said, that's your rear wheel bearings. They're gone. I said, oh, great, now what? He said, let's go down the garage. I said, no, we haven't had good luck there. Can we do it at my house? He said, yeah, no problem. So we went home, jacked it up, put the jack stands underneath, took off the tires, pulled out the axles. He asked for a hammer, a screwdriver, and some wrenches, and he started making a lot of noise. You don't just go down to your auto zone or your O'Reilly auto parts and say, hey, I have a 1997 high van. I need rear wheel bearings. No, you get the part, you travel down to Kampala, 50 miles away, and you start going through these little shops, saying, hey, do you have something like this? What about you? What about you? If you find it, great. You go home, you're lucky. If you can find something close, you take it and hope you can make it work. He came back and says, look at this, Dan. And I looked at it. It looked like Toyota colors to me. And it said, genuine Toyota parts made in Japan, not China. I was happy. He was happy. We got the left side done, packed it with grease, put it on, came around to the right side. He says, Dan, it's getting late. Can I go home and come back tomorrow? I said, sure, no problem. Tomorrow came, no Muhammad came. The whole day, I kept looking for him. He wasn't there. The next day, no Muhammad. The third day, I got on the phone. Where are you? I'm up in Iganga. I'm sick. I said, okay, when you're better, come on. The vehicle's not going anywhere. Finally, he comes. We finish the right side. He takes it for a test drive. It sounds good. He's okay. Walk over to the corner of our house where we have a faucet. We began washing our hands. I gave him one of my most prized possessions, a piece of lava soap. And he started washing. Man, this is good soap, Dan. Where'd you get it? I said, down at the store. He said, what store? I said, the store in Auburn, California, where I'm from. He just shook his head. We walked away knowing we both had clean hands, but one of us didn't have a clean heart. And that's when he said, Dan, can I talk to you? I said, sure, anytime. Can, can we go in the house? Sure. We've sat at the table. We've had meals together. No problem. Head toward the house. He says, can John come and, and translate for me? I said, why? You speak English. I speak English. You speak Swahili. I speak Swahili. You speak Swahili, right? You speak Swahili? If I tell you you speak Swahili, how many would believe? Pastor, faith, next Sunday. Okay, somebody tell me what kind of animal is a Simba? Lion, because Swahili, the word Simba means lion. Somebody translate for me the Swahili phrase, Hakuna Matata. No worries, or there is no problem. Just watch the Lion King and come visit us, you'll be fine. Anything that's not English is Swahili, you'll be okay. He wanted to speak in the language that he was born into, so we went in and John came and he began to share with me that he was born into a Christian home. I was shocked. I didn't know that. He said his dad was Catholic, his mom was Anglican. But when Idi Amin... Some of you may know that name. If you don't, look it up on uh, Google. 
Idi Amin came in, many people switched from Christianity to Islam, including Muhammad. He gave up his name that he was given at birth, Kosea, or the Old Testament prophet's name, Hosea. Dan, I need Jesus. I said, for 15 years I've been telling you you need Jesus. He says, Dan, I need Jesus today. I said, it's very simple. Just pray. Tell God you're sorry for the things you've done. Ask him to forgive you. Start reading his word, the Bible, and do what you read in that, word, that book. He says, Dan, I don't know how to pray. I said, no problem. I'll pray a prayer. If those words are from your heart, you repeat them. And we bowed our heads and we prayed a sinner's prayer. And as we finished, I said, amen. He said, amen. I looked up, big old tears coming down his cheeks. The second African man I'd ever seen cry. I took the back of my Bible. I had a, a picture of Jesus standing at the heart store on the back. It has a stamp, a spiritual birth certificate. And I put the date and I put his name. I put my name. I handed it across the table and I reached across and said, welcome to the family of God. And as I held his hand, I'm going, whoo, you're burning up. He says, yeah, I'm going to die. I said, I know you are, and I am too, but neither of us are dying today. Let's go see Dr. Emma. So we went in, and we found Dr. Emma. He was in the, the office, and a lot of people were waiting to see him. Every time the door opened, a new person went in. Everybody stood up, moved over one chair. Another person came out. The next one went in. They moved over another chair. Knew it was going to take a while, so I went into the laboratory. I uh, got the lab tech to come out and draw some blood out of his arm. He took it back in just before we went into Dr. Emanuel's office. He gave me the paper. We went in. He had, how are you feeling, Muhammad? Ah, I'm sweating. I have fever. I have a headache. I have aches in my joints. Sounds like malaria. Let me get you a test. And I handed him the receipt. He said, uh-oh, malaria, plus, plus. Malaria is bad, but when you get plus or plus, plus, that's even bad, worse. He says, let me write your prescription. We went in and got the pharmacy. We bought the medicine. I gave him the first dose on the sidewalk. We got in the car, drove down to the garage, found Twaha, said, take him home. Here's the medicine. This is how you're supposed to give it to him. And they went. Weeks later, we're walking on the sidewalk, Melody and I, and who's coming toward us? Muhammad. And we come, we talk for three or four minutes, then he goes his way, and I go mine, and I lean over to Melody. I said, does Muhammad look different to you? He says, yeah. He has a joy about him. He has a, a, a feeling that everything's good. Happiness, peace, God had changed his life. Why? Because you sent somebody over there to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for making a difference in the lives of people around the world. Thank you today that you're going to make a pledge that God has asked you to make. Not that you think you can afford. We can all do that. But what is it God is asking you today to do that you cannot do alone? That's what he's asking you to do. To step out in faith and make a difference in people like Muhammad. May God bless you as you look for your Muhammad around Westchester. When you go to bed tonight and you put your head down on your pillow, before you go to sleep, say, God, who is the Muhammad you want me to go and make a difference in the life of starting tomorrow. As I am going, I will be making disciples in Uganda. You do it here in Westchester. May God bless you as you serve him and as you trust him and make a difference in his lives. Do not sit. Do not stand. Serve the Lord with gladness. May God bless you.